Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In this series, God and Art, we are going to be exploring God from the perspective of all different kinds of artistic medium. We will be talking about God from the perspective of painting, sculpture, architecture, literature, poetry, film, and photography. My hope is that through these mediums, we will come to a deeper understanding of how God is present in our everyday lives. Enjoy. Well, good morning. And uh, I want to say happy All Saints Day. Happy uh, Turn the Clock Back was a Daylight Savings Time Day, which is such a ripoff if you have little ones. I'm just telling you that right now. Because they don't care. They wake up at the exact same time, and you do not get to sleep in an hour later. That's neither here nor there, though, now that I'm bitter. Okay, why don't we read our scripture lesson for today? Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust rust consume and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of the Lord. So for the past two months, we have been talking about God through all kinds of various artistic medium. We've been talking about God in painting, God in sculpture, God in the landscape, God in architecture. And with each of these, I think it's been kind of neat to peel away the various layers to see how God is in these pieces of art that we wouldn't normally suspect, in ways that we wouldn't normally suspect. But one thing is in common with all these pieces that we've been talking about, which is that many of us have probably not seen a lot of these pieces or places in person. Is that correct? Am I correct on that for those of you who've seen it? Probably the closest we've gotten is seeing these on the monitors. There's a few of us who've been lucky enough to travel the world to see some of these places, but for the most part, we've just heard about them. Well, today, we're talking about something that every single person in here has seen and you have interacted with. It's art that you actually know about and know about it intimately on a daily basis. We're talking about the relationship between God and money. And to get into this, we're actually going to talk a little bit about the history of money, because I find the history of money to be one of the most fascinating aspects of human society. So, Homo sapiens, humans, we've been on this earth for somewhere around 200,000 years. And it's interesting that only in the last 12,000 years has our society become sophisticated enough to warrant a system of trade. Now, this system, it came about for two reasons that are very particular to human beings. The first is our ability to recognize the scarcity of resources. And the second reason that it came about is because we can actually plan into the future. So, somewhere around 12,000 years ago, something happened. We realized, wait a second, there's a finite number of resources, And if you take those resources for yourself, that means there's going to be a lot less for me 
in the long run. And because we can plan out into the future, we decided, well, hey, wait a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to plan so that I make sure that I have enough for myself. And so we created for ourselves this system of credits and debts so that you didn't take more than your fair share. Now, when you look at something like this, what does it tell you? It's all about our own self-preservation, right? That's what this system is for. And when it came about originally, it was a barter system. Do you know what a barter system is? Okay, a barter system is a system of trade, right? And the idea was is that humans, 12,000 years ago, they started trading grain and cattle, which makes sense, right? Because you can eat grain and cattle. And so in that way, you're trading something that's very valuable to you. But as humans advanced in their technology, their ability to mine precious metals like gold, silver, and copper, we started trading these things as well. Now, that went on for a long time until about 700 BC. And in 700 BC, something interesting happened. Countries started making coinage, the type of thing that we use to this day. And the first country to ever do it were the Chinese. They created these coins that you can see right here. These are the first coins that were ever created. And the precursor to that, actually, which is kind of interesting to me, I find it to be kind of uh, humorous, is that they had created the system of blades, like actual sharpened knives that they would trade with each other. So can you imagine if we did that today, right? If a transaction went wrong, it would be a bad thing. So they got rid of that because it's not real easy to carry those in your pocket either. So they said, we're going to do coins. And pretty much from the moment that countries started doing this, that China did it, it just caught on like wildfire. And countries all over the world started minting their own coins. Let's take a look at this Greek drachma right here. So this is a Greek drachma. And as you can see, on the one side, they have a turtle. And on the other side, if you look in the one corner, that's actually a dolphin right there. So from the beginning, they started creating their coins with art on them. And sometimes it would be mythological creatures. Sometimes it would be gods and goddesses, reptiles, animals, all kinds of different things. But then, in the 4th century BC, Alexander the Great changed everything. So Alexander the Great, he had been working his way out into creating his empire, you know, conquering everything. And eventually, he had conquered just about everything that he was going to conquer. And he came back and he decided that when he was going to make the coinage for his new empire, he was going to put his face on the coins of his empire. And of course... This defined what our money would look like from that point forward because once every other nation saw that, they're like, the leader's like, yeah, I'm going to do that too. I'm going to put my face on the coins. Now, what's interesting about him is not only did he define how our money would look from that point forward, but there's something peculiar about Alexander the Great. You see, like many kings of his day, he was actually thought to be of divine origin. They actually believe that he was descended directly from Zeus. So you have this interesting connection. You have this guy's face on his coins, and then you also have the fact that he's a demigod, somebody who is actually worshipped. Now, these two things together, they create this interesting synergy that goes on. And to explain to you what happens, I need to just take a moment to step back and talk a little bit about what money does in our society. You'll understand where I'm going with this in just a second. So, can we agree 
that our society revolves around money. Can we agree on that one basic point? Okay? It's unfortunate, but it does. Money mediates everything in our world. It mediates the difference between those who struggle in poverty and those who are able to take care of their needs. And the value of our money is very much connected to the country that created it. So in our modern world, let's take a modern world, a country that's doing well economically, the value of that money is going to be much greater than a country that is not doing well economically, right? You could take our country, the U.S. versus Russia right now. So in the U.S., we're doing fairly well economically, so our currency is doing well. Whereas in Russia, what's going on? Well, their entire economy is based on fossil fuels, and fossil fuels are really cheap right now, and so the value of their currency is nosediving. But generally, before we got into the global economy that we're in right now, countries pretty much were by themselves for the most part, and your currency, the value of your currency, was based on the leader leading your country. So as an average Joe Schmo walking down the street, I was very dependent upon my leader to actually make sure that I was doing well. I wanted my leader to be successful, right? Because the more successful my leader is, the greater the value of my money, the better off I'm going to be. We're on the same page with that so far. Okay. So let's go back to Alexander the Great, this guy right up here. So Alexander the Great, he takes over this whole new empire. And you're one of his subjects. And you're walking down the street, and you take out a coin and have it in your hand, and you see this guy's face on it. So what are you going to think all of a sudden? Well, you're going to think to yourself, well, this guy, he holds my life in his hands. I'm dependent on this guy for everything that I have. And the fact that he's a demigod, he's certainly worthy of worship, right? Because without him, my chances of survival are going to plummet, and I can't take care of my needs. So in a very real way, this guy, Alexander the Great, he's my Lord and my Savior. You recognize that language? Have you heard that somewhere before? Okay, that language is not original to churches. That language started with kings and their subjects. Because the whole idea was, that guy was my Lord, and he was my Savior because he determined whether I lived or died. Now, how, what do you think Jesus felt about that? Did he, you think he was cool with that concept and that idea? No, he was not. He did not agree with that. And one of the big reasons why is because Jesus understood that where we place our allegiance as human beings, it's with what takes care of our needs. So in the society we've created, in this world we've created, our money and the leaders who maintain that money's value, that's what gets our allegiance, right? I mean, that's what you probably have the most allegiance to in this world. In a real sense, we worship money. Now, what does it mean to worship something? It means you put your faith and your trust into that thing. That's what it means to worship. And would you say we put our faith and trust in money? Oh, I asked this last time. Everybody just sat there and stared at me. Whether you realize it or not, you do. So we do that. Whether we like to or not, we put our faith and trust in money. I'm going to explain that to you in a second. So Jesus, he clearly has a problem with this. Because where should we putting our, our, our faith and trust? Where should it be? God, right? Okay, we get that one. So we should be putting our faith and trust in God but we don't. And this is why in the scripture we read today, what does he say? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Beautiful, 
wonderful idea in theory. The notion that we should just set money aside, not care about it, and just focus on God. I mean, beautiful concept. Love the idea. In reality, though, it's a lot more challenging than that, isn't it? Because it's much easier for us to worship money, to put our faith and trust in money, than it is to put our faith and trust in God. Let me give an example of what I'm talking about. You go to the grocery store. You pick up food. You put it on that little thing, the the little, what is it called, conveyor belt. It takes it down. You get to the end. They package all your stuff up. They say, you owe X amount. And so what do you do? You take that piece of paper out of your wallet. You give it to them. And what can you do? You can take that food home to your family, and they can eat it. So let's say I go and I do the same thing. I get all my food. I get to the conveyor belt. It goes down. I get to the end. And I say, I love God. I'm going to take this food home to my family. (laughs) Now they're going to look at you, and what are they going to say? They're going to say, that's nice, but I need something else besides you loving God to take that food home to your family. Loving God isn't going to provide you necessarily with an income. This is the reality we live in, right? And there's something kind of crazy about this reality when you think about it, because we made money up. It's our invention. It's our creation. We designed it. You know that money you use to pay for your food and your car and your house and all that stuff? It's just as worthless as the money in your Monopoly set. It's no different from that. It's exactly the same. The difference is we have made a decision as a society that the money below that's printed by the U.S. government, that piece of paper, is worth something. And it's not just worth something. It determines the difference between people being able to eat and not eat. It makes the difference between people having a home and living on the street. That's what that does, and it's because we have agreed to it as a society. And Jesus, he sees the absurdity in this. Because we made money up. It's not even real. And yet it determines all of the outcome of our lives, doesn't it? And so clearly, this thing that we place our faith in, it's an idol. An idol is what? A false god. It's something that we made up and we worship. And it's a barrier between us and really being able to worship God. And it's understandable that it would be, right? Because God is this amorphous concept out there in the world, and yet money, you can pick it up and use it, and it does something for you. And so therefore, that's why our allegiance lies with money. So we have two choices. We're either going to leave society and go live in a cave. Who's with me? Who's with me? Are we going to do it? Let's do it together. We're going to make it happen, okay? Or we have to continue living with money. So... Jesus obviously understands we're going to continue living with money, and he gives us a way to deal with it. And basically, he says, you need to have a different perspective. And his perspective, it comes about when he says, at the end of our scripture, he says, you cannot serve God and wealth. Now, what does that mean? Well, what it means is, where do your priorities lie? So, if wealth is your top priority, then you're going to look at money very differently than, say, a person who has God as their top priority. When wealth is your top priority, this is what happens. You see money as a means to make sure you always have enough resources for yourself. In that way, the purpose of money is to ensure that you are going to be able to survive. It's a survival tool. On the other hand, if God is your top priority, then you see that money as a means to build God's kingdom here on earth. From that vantage point, you're looking at money as a way of bringing Jesus' vision for the world into 
reality. And that is what we are here to do. That is what we are all about in this church. We are here to bring Jesus' vision for the world into reality. We are here to build God's kingdom. That is our job. And I would go so far as to say that if we are not building God's kingdom, we do not have the right to call ourselves followers of Jesus. Last year, if you remember, for like two months, I took you through the vision for the church. I must have pounded it into you guys so much. We talked about the vision for the church, where we're going. And I told you that vision is how I believe we're going to get there so that we can live up to Jesus' expectations for our lives. And that vision, it has three components. Relationships, mission, and caring. I want to just take a moment to walk you through these three things so that you understand how these things relate to you sitting in the pew and to our community at large. So the first thing that we have done is we have made a decision in this church that relationships are the most important thing in our lives. Relationship with God, relationship with Jesus, and relationships with each other. So, if you come into this church, if you're a part of our community, then basically what you're saying is, I'm going to follow Jesus and his teachings. And the reason why is because we believe that relationships are most founded in the way that Jesus taught. That the best kind of relationships come out of those teachings, which is summarized as the greatest commandment. You all know that, right? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourselves. I knew you get that part. Okay. <laughs> so that's how we start off. That's what he tells us. So when you associate yourself with this church, you are making a statement to the world around you that you are going to live the life that Jesus asks you to live. In other words, you are dedicating yourself to a life where you choose love. You choose to love God. You choose to love others. You choose to love yourself. The second of these pillars is taking that love into the world through mission. So Jesus tells us that it is our responsibility as Christians to build the kingdom that he taught about. That's what we're here to do. That's what we're supposed to do. And this is how he defines the kingdom, just in case you're not sure. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is this. Everybody has enough to eat. Everybody has clothes to wear. Everybody has a roof over their head. Everybody's treated for their illnesses. Nobody is forgotten. So when you associate yourself with this church, you are making a statement that you are going to be Jesus' hands in the world. You are going to live a life that is determined by being God's light to others. The final pillar in this movement is caring. Caring for those both inside and outside our community. So Jesus tells us that it's not enough simply to take care of the physical well-being of people who lack food, shelter, and clothing. You have to care for the whole person. This means we have to focus on their emotional and their spiritual well-being as well as on their physical. And so when you associate yourself with this church, you are making a statement to the world around you that you are going to care for the whole person. In other words, you are dedicating yourself to a life where you serve people and serve the world by changing the world one person at a time. Choose love, be the light, change the world. This is our motto. 
And this is what is going to define who we are as a church from this point forward. You're going to hear me say this every single week in here, and it's going to be in my benediction. This is what defines who we are, and I believe it really does embody everything that we're about. What it requires from you, though, is that you invest in these three pillars. You invest with your time, your talent, and your resources. And as we just talked about, because we've made a decision as a society that we are going to mediate those who thrive and those who starve by money, we have to make a decision as a community right here that we're going to look at money as a way not to serve our own needs, but rather as a way to build God's kingdom here on earth. Last year I gave you a number. 1.3 million dollars. That's how much it costs to keep this church running, to keep it going. That's not paying for a lot of frills. That's not making it so that Judy can just go around and buy whatever she wants to buy, right? It's not about that, even though she wants to, but it's not making that happen. Basically, it pays for the, it really pays for the basics here. And last year, I gave you this number, and that's a huge number. Like, that's really hard to wrap your mind around. I just want to give you a little sense of what that's paying for, so that you understand. Just a quick breakdown, three things. Let's talk, first of all, about the building. So, to maintain this building throughout the year, every year it costs an average of $332,000. $332,000 to maintain this building. And you have to realize, if you've never walked around the whole thing, it's really huge. And it was built in different time periods. Like if you're in the chapel, that's the earliest part that was built in the earliest, early 1900s, right? And then you have this one that was built in the 50s. And then you have the CE wing, which was built in the 60s. And then you have the, that wing over there that was built in the 90s. And it's all deteriorating at different rates. And so we have to work to keep this thing up. And it costs a lot of money, not only to keep it up, but also to make sure that you all are comfortable when you are in this place. The next place where this money goes to is in providing you with top quality worship, the programs that we provide for the children, the youth, the adults, the music programs. We have made a decision in this church that we are going to pay professionals to lead us in that effort. And that is why I think we have such top quality programs here. But when you put all that together, you have to pay for these staff people, and it comes out to about $860,000 a year to pay for the various staff who we have here to run these programs. And then the rest of it, actually, is just paying for the programs themselves. Pays for that webcast that you all like to watch, I'm sure, when you're gone, because you keep up every week, right, with what we're doing, and you would never miss it, right? It pays for the bulletins that you have in your hand. It pays for the scores of music that we have to pay for royalty fees. It pays for the programs, like the youth program and the children's program, the materials. So all of that money goes towards that. Now, last year, I told you that in order to make that amount, we need every worshiping member of our community to give about $1,500. So that means it's $1,500 for an individual and $3,000 for a couple. And last year, what was amazing is that 187 of you stepped up to make that happen. 187 people stepped up and said, we're going to meet that criteria. And 145 of you exceeded it. You went beyond that criteria for us to give us a total of $1,136,000. Last year, you all gave $200,000 more in 2015 than you did the year before in 2014. 
which is absolutely amazing. And I want to thank you for that because it gets rid of a lot of that anxiety that we have. Are we going to be able to pay for what we're trying to do here? And you all made that happen. But if you do the math, just real quick, you can probably see that we're a little short of where we probably need to be, right? By about $160,000. So the fact is, we are very fortunate that we've had some reserves that we could draw on to pay for this deficit. But we can only do that for so long before that money runs out. And so this year, I want to give you two ways that I think we can make up for that deficit that we have. The first thing is that if you haven't been able to get to that $1,500 level, if you are financially able to do so and you didn't do it last year, if you can do it this year, we really need you to do that. It's $1,500 for an individual, $3,000 for a couple, and the amount is about $29 a week. That's how much it costs. I know you all spend that in a week, many of you, going out to lunch, going to dinner. I know it's not too far outside the realm of possibility. But Last year, if you said, all right, Alex, I met you where you are, and many of you did, by the way. I had people come up to me last year and say to me, you know, this is really hard for me to do, but I'm doing it because I believe in what we're doing here. Those of you who met it, I need you to do one better for me. I need you to increase your commitment this year by $3 a week. $3 a week. I need you to go from $29 a week to $32 a week. If everybody in here is willing to do that, to go to $1,664 for an individual and $3,328 for a couple. We're going to make up that deficit. That's the difference. $3 a week. That's the difference between being able to thrive and struggling to get by. So I think everybody in here can probably do that, even if you're a youth. And I know many of the youth in here don't have a lot of income. You can probably do 3 bucks a week, I would think. Now... Also, what you will see on your card, how many of you received these cards in the mail? You should have this week. Okay. You'll see on the card that there's two places at the bottom. One place, they're actually in your pews as well if you want to look at them so you can see. There's a blue part which tells you about what you're going to donate to the general fund. And then there's the last part which is about the ECO. It's an extra commitment opportunity. This extra commitment opportunity is about the mission of our church. Have you heard me talk about that at all? while you've been here. Okay, I've talked about that quite a bit. And we are going to be talking about that mission in about two weeks' time. I'm going to tell you what the mission is. Session will have voted on it, and we can lay it out for you so you know exactly what that is. We are looking to raise somewhere around $70,000 to get this mission off the ground. So you have to realize, though, with every dollar you give to this, that's going to be directly benefiting a family that is struggling economically here in Arlington Heights. And when you do that, when you're looking at this, please, 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 please do not simply subtract what you would give to the general fund and put it in the green line there, okay? Like, don't do that, because we're not going to get there. And if you want a baseline for it, it's $100 per person. That's all it is. If, if everybody gives 100 bucks and a couple gives $200, we are there. We can get 70000 no problem. Now, I want to tell you something that I also said last year. And I'm sorry, I know, I can see you all looking down at the ground because you all hate the money talks. I know that, okay? I know it. But I want to tell you this. I would never ask you to do something that I'm not doing myself. Every time I ask you to do something, I am making the same commitment myself. 
I'm not getting up here and telling you to do something and then saying, well, I don't have to worry about that. I do worry about it, and I do give to make sure that you all know that I'm right there next to you because I want to make that commitment as well. I want to end by just pointing out one little feature of our U.S. currency, our modern U.S. currency. Any of you who have a bill in your wallet right now, you can look at it, and you will see that there's actually a little phrase, a motto on there. It says, in God we trust. It seems that the trend started by Alexander the Great some 2,400 years ago is still in full effect today. God is still very much intertwined with the money that we use. And in two weeks' time, we're going to have our Commitment Sunday where there's going to be baskets up here, and you're going to come up with your card, and you're going to place it in that basket. And I hope that when you stand up to walk up here, it's not just you saying, oh, I'm giving to the church again. I hope you're standing up, and I hope you will see that as a statement to the people around you, that not only are you making a choice about where your priorities are, that your priority with your money is not about self-serving, it's not about serving your own needs, but it's about building God's kingdom here on earth. May we follow in Jesus' footsteps, and may we serve the master that truly counts by choosing love, being the light, changing the world. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.